If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is Katie Karski. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Tulane University School of Medicine with an interest in general surgery. I will be narrating the endocrinology chapter of Crush Step 1, Second Edition. Overview of the Endocrine System The endocrine system uses hormones to transfer information between different tissues. It is a finely regulated machine that uses feedback loops and sensors to ensure constant homeostasis within the body. The endocrine system plays some form of regulatory role in almost all physiologic processes. It has effects on development, growth, and metabolism, and works with almost every organ system, including the nervous and immune systems. In contrast to neurotransmitters, which work in the synapse between the neuron end plate and the receptors they act on, hormones are secreted into the circulation and can work on tissues far away from the source of origin. Hormones Hormones are secreted by the endocrine glands into the bloodstream, with the exception of the endocrine functions of the reproductive organs, kidneys, and adrenal medulla, see chapters 16, 15, and 7, respectively. By the end of this chapter, the mechanism of action of each of these hormones in figure 9.1 will be understood, as well as how they are regulated, what pathologic conditions can occur, and what medications act on these systems. Please reference the text for figure 9.1. Regulation. Hormones must be precisely regulated to ensure that homeostasis is maintained. The most common method of hormone regulation is through negative feedback loops. Essentially, these loops all function in a similar manner. Some downstream effect or product of the released hormone inhibits further hormone release. That way, when the downstream product or change is made, the goal of a hormone, It will decrease hormone production because the intended goal of the hormone was met. An example of this is parathyroid hormone, PTH. The main stimulus for parathyroid hormone is low ionized calcium levels. When parathyroid hormone has its effects on the body that ultimately increase calcium concentration, that calcium inhibits further PTH secretion because the job of the hormone has been accomplished and further PTH activity would cause hypercalcemia. A rare method of regulation is the positive feedback loop, whereby the end product causes more production of hormone, causing more production of end product, creating a self-promoting loop. This occurs during the menstrual cycle for a brief period to promote ovulation and also occurs during parturition, labor, when oxytocin helps to create uterine contractions. Both are covered in Chapter 16. Types of Hormones 
hormones fall into one of two main types, peptides, protein hormones, and steroid hormones. There are also hormones derived from a single amino acid tyrosine, e.g. the catecholamines such as epinephrine, covered in chapters 7 and 8. Peptide and protein hormones act on surface receptors of the cell, such as G-protein-coupled receptors, GPCRs, or tyrosine kinases. Steroid hormones are lipophilic and can move into the cell, acting on the cytoplasmic and nuclear receptors in the cell to alter gene expression. Terminology of pathophysiology Endocrinopathies are generally termed primary, secondary, or tertiary when applicable. The example used for this to demonstrate the terminology is hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism will be described in detail later, but briefly, the hypothalamus generates thyrotropin-releasing hormone, TRH, to stimulate the pituitary to secrete thyroid-stimulating hormone, TSH, to stimulate the thyroid to generate thyroid hormone. When the organ itself fails and causes hypothyroidism, it is termed primary. When the stimulus for the organ fails, the pituitary, it is termed secondary. When the stimulus for the stimulus for the organ fails, the hypothalamus, it is termed tertiary. See figure 9.2. Its function, such as in primary hypothyroidism, means the endocrine organ itself, i.e. the thyroid, is dysfunctional, such as an autoimmune destruction of the thyroid gland. Secondary dysfunction such as in secondary hypothyroidism, means the direct stimulus for that organ is abnormal, i.e. the pituitary gland failing to produce TSH to stimulate the thyroid. Even if the thyroid is functioning normally, it will fail to produce thyroid hormone in the absence of a stimulus. An example would be a tumor destroying the pituitary's function. Tertiary dysfunction, such as tertiary hypothyroidism, means that the problem is one step further downstream. In the case of tertiary hypothyroidism, it is the hypothalamus failing to secrete TRH, which would normally stimulate the pituitary to secrete TSH to stimulate the thyroid. Multiple endocrine neoplasia syndromes. The multiple endocrine neoplasia, MEN, syndromes feature tumors of endocrine organs and are inherited in an autosomal dominant fashion. There are three types. MEN1, 2A, and 2B. Each is a distinctive syndrome, but they have some overlap in the locations in which the tumors occur. These can be confirmed with genetic testing. See Table 9.1. MEN1, MEN1 gene, characterized by the three Ps of pituitary, pancreas, and parathyroid. The pituitary lesion is most commonly a prolactin secreting adenoma. The pancreatic lesion is a neuroendocrine tumor, such as a gastrinoma, Sollinger-Ellison syndrome. Hyperparathyroidism, as a result of hyperplasia of all four parathyroid glands, is the most common feature of MEN1. MEN2A and 2B, RET proto-oncogene activation mutation, have two of the three features in common. Both can develop pheochromocytomas, catecholamine-secreting tumors of the medulla and adrenal gland, and both can develop medullary carcinoma of the thyroid. However, the main difference is that those with MEN2A can develop primary hyperparathyroidism, like those with MEN1, whereas those with MEN2B develop ganglioneuromas of various mucosal sites, such as the mouth and gastrointestinal tract, and often have a marfanoid habitus. Remember, there is MEN1, MEN2A, and MEN2B. MEN1 shares one condition, parathyroid hyperplasia, with MEN2A. MEN2A shares two conditions, pheochromocytoma and medullary carcinoma of the thyroid, with MEN2B. Hypothalamus and pituitary gland Hypothalamus and pituitary function overview the hypothalamus is below the thalamus, hence hypothalamus, and is responsible for regulation of numerous aspects of the body, covered in Chapter 13. This chapter will concern itself with the important role of the hypothalamus in stimulating or inhibiting the pituitary gland and therefore regulating pituitary gland activity.
The pituitary gland has anterior and posterior lobes, which each make a different set of hormones. Table 9.2, figure 9.3. The anterior pituitary, previously called the adenohypophysis because adeno refers to gland, is made up of endocrine glandular cells which secrete their products into the bloodstream. Their hormones can be remembered by the mnemonic flat peg. FSH, LH, ACTH, TSH, prolactin, endorphins, GH. FSH is follicle-stimulating hormone. LH is luteinizing hormone. ACTH is adrenocorticotropic hormone. TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone. And GH is growth hormone. Each of these hormones will be covered individually because their function and regulation differ greatly. Because the function of the anterior pituitary is so closely linked with the hypothalamus, the venous blood from the hypothalamus directly drains into the anterior pituitary, called the hypothalamic hypophysial portal system, similar to the goal of the portal vein draining the intestines into the liver. This close connection ensures that any hormones that the hypothalamus secretes to instruct the anterior pituitary on what to do immediately go in high concentration directly there. The posterior pituitary, previously called the neurohypophysis, is actually neural tissue, with the cell bodies in the hypothalamus and the axons running down into the posterior pituitary. When stimulated, the neurons release their products into the bloodstream just like a neuron would release its neurotransmitters into a synapse. The posterior pituitary releases antidiuretic hormone, ADH, and oxytocin, each primarily synthesized by its own set of neuron cell bodies. ADH is mainly synthesized by the supraoptic nuclei, and oxytocin is mainly synthesized by the paraventricular nuclei, but both sets of neurons make both hormones to some degree. A helpful way to remember that the paraventricular cells make oxytocin is that oxytocin causes contraction of the uterus, just like the ventricles of the heart contract, although the paraventricular nuclei are actually named for their location near the third ventricle of the brain. The anatomic structure of the posterior pituitary becomes important in head trauma, where the axons in the pituitary stalk, in fundibulum, can become disrupted, causing central diabetes insipidus from the loss of ADH secretion. Pituitary hormones covered elsewhere. Follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, luteinizing hormone, LH, and oxytocin. See Chapter 16. Adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH. See later section, adrenal glands, cortex, and medulla. Antidiuretic hormone. See Chapter 15. Growth hormone. Growth hormone, as the name implies, is the main hormone regulating growth. The rapid growth in puberty is a result of increased levels of this hormone. See figure 9.4. This hormone is secreted in a pulsatile fashion, with starvation and hypoglycemia acting as two potent stimuli for secretion. Stimulation is from the hypothalamus through growth hormone-releasing hormone, GHRH, and is inhibited by somatostatin, which is also secreted by the hypothalamus and end products such as somatomedins, which are released when growth hormone, GH, has its effect on the end organ on which it is working. The effects of GH are widespread, and after reviewing these effects, the reasons that hypoglycemia and starvation are stimuli for GHRH secretion will become apparent, because initially, starvation and hypoglycemia seem counterintuitive for GH secretion. But GH has a secondary role in maintaining blood sugar levels during periods of starvation and hypoglycemia. Insulin antagonism. Growth hormone causes insulin resistance with a resultant increase in blood sugar and subsequently increased insulin release by the pancreas. This relative insulin resistance also causes increased lipolysis. Therefore, GH simply acts during starvation and hypoglycemia to make blood sugar available to keep the body running, e.g. ensuring that enough blood glucose is available to allow the brain to function because the brain uptakes glucose in an insulin-independent fashion. Increased linear growth. This is not mediated by GH directly, but rather because GH stimulates production of insulin-like growth factor 1, IGF-1, 
previously known as somatomedin C, in the liver. IGF-1 acts on osteoblasts and chondrocytes to allow for long bone growth, increasing height in those who do not have their growth plates fused yet. Increased synthetic function and organ growth causes increased protein synthesis and growth in nearly all of the body's organs, especially muscle. Coupled with the lipolysis from the insulin resistance, this has the net effect of decreasing fat and increasing lean muscle mass, as well as causing organomegaly. Just like all hormones, two general pathologic processes can occur, too much hormone or too little hormone. Growth hormone excess. This can cause one of two conditions, gigantism or acromegaly. Almost invariably, this is due to GH-secreting pituitary adenoma. Making the distinction between gigantism and acromegaly involves simply finding out the patient's age to determine whether his or her growth plates have likely fused or not. Younger patients who have growth plates that will allow for increased long bone growth via IGF-1, made in the liver by GH stimulation, will have an extraordinarily tall stature as well as other stigmata of GH excess. Those with fused growth plates will not have increased linear growth, but will have all the other problems that come with GH excess, essentially relating to enlarged organs, cardiomyopathy, the most common cause of death, diabetes from insulin resistance, and classic coarsening of facial features and enlarged hands, head, and feet. Probe about hat size changes, ring size changes, and shoe size changes, or ask for an old photo. Diagnosis of this can be made by increased IGF-1 levels, as well as group glucose suppression testing. Because hypoglycemia is a stimulus for GH release, giving a glucose load should decrease GH in a normally functioning pituitary gland. Failure to do so suggests a GH-secreting tumor in the pituitary. Treatment is surgical removal of the tumor. Non-resectable tumors can be treated with somatostatin analogs such as octreotide, which will provide negative feedback to attempts to decrease GH level. Growth hormone deficiency can be caused by many processes. Consider the stimuli in each step of growth hormone activity. Problems at any point can cause GH deficiency e.g. hypothalamus failing to secrete GHRH, pituitary failing to secrete GH, liver failing to produce IGF-1, or receptor dysfunction. The symptoms are intuitive, poor growth and delayed puberty. Treatment is simply giving GH. Prolactin. Prolactin, as the name implies, is prolactation. It allows for maternal breast milk production and has a trophic effect on the breast. This hormone normally is only high during pregnancy and lactation, but can be increased pathologically with prolactin-secreting tumors, with medications that block dopamine, or with hypothyroidism. The effects of prolactin are twofold. Breast development and support of milk production. It allows for breastfeeding by promoting mammary duct proliferation and synthesis of milk proteins. Negative feedback on gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GnRH, often referred to as nature's birth control. In breastfeeding mothers, the persistently high prolactin levels downregulate GnRH to attempt to inhibit ovulation to space out children appropriately. Although prolactin deficiency can occur from pituitary insufficiency, there are many causes of hyperprolactinemia, as alluded to previously. Hyperprolactinemia can lead to galactorrhea, milk secretion from the nipples, as well as infertility or loss of libido as a result of GnRH downregulation. Hypothyroidism. As can be seen in figure 9.5a, TRH from the hypothalamus results in increased prolactin secretion. Those with hypothyroidism have increased TRH to attempt to stimulate the thyroid to increase thyroid hormone output. Treatment is repleting thyroid hormone. Medications that block dopamine. Dopamine receptor antagonists, classically the antipsychotics, which are D2 blocking agents, block the dopamine receptors throughout the body, including the anterior pituitary. 
This shuts off the negative feedback on prolactin secretion, leading to hyperprolactinemia. Treatment is stopping the offending medication if possible. Tumors of the lactotroph cells of the anterior pituitary. Tumors of the cells that make prolactin, called prolactinomas. See figure 9.5b. These can cause hyperprolactinemia. Prolactinoma is the most common pituitary tumor. Because the pituitary is so close to the optic chiasm, the tumor can press on it, causing bitemporal hemianopsia. See Chapter 13 for visual field defect explanations, which is classic for this tumor if large. Treatment is either surgical removal of the tumor if large, or giving a dopamine agonist such as bromocryptine or cabergoline to increase negative feedback on the cells to decrease size and output. Serum prolactin levels in prolactinoma are higher than the other causes, and a serum prolactin level of more than 200 nanograms per milliliter is essentially diagnostic of a prolactinoma. Causes of Anterior Pituitary Dysfunction The anterior pituitary supplies numerous hormones to the body, and damage to the pituitary or to the hypothalamus, which sends regulatory signals to the pituitary, can lead to hypopituitarism. The main cause of damage to the anterior pituitary gland are mass effects, tumors, empty cell syndrome, and infarction, Sheehan syndrome, sickle cell anemia. Tumors affecting the pituitary. Masses can arise from the pituitary, such as non-functioning pituitary adenomas, which eventually overtake the entirety of the gland, or tumors that exhibit mass effect on the pituitary, such as craniopharyngiomas. A craniopharyngioma is a remnant of Rathke pouch, which normally is a depression in the roof of the developing mouth that gives rise to the anterior pituitary. Because of mass effect, a craniopharyngioma can press on and destroy the pituitary gland. Empty cellus syndrome mainly affects obese women with hypertension. This is thought to represent intracranial hypertension. An anatomic defect allows the subarachnoid space to extend into the cella turcica, partially filling it with cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, which then flattens the pituitary gland. Sheehan syndrome, postpartum necrosis of the pituitary. During pregnancy, the mother's anterior pituitary increases in size significantly as a result of increased hormone requirements. However, the blood supply is not increased to the same degree, leaving the anterior pituitary gland relatively ischemic during this period. If the mother becomes hypotensive, such as from significant hemorrhage during childbirth, the ischemia can progress to pituitary infarction. Sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell patients often have vasoocclusive crises in which sickled cells cause ischemic injury to the target organ. This can occur in the pituitary and cause dysfunction. Thyroid gland. Anatomy, embryology, and histology. The thyroid gland is located in the anterior neck, below and lateral to the thyroid cartilage. It is a bilobed gland connected by the isthmus. This gland was initially an outgrowth near the base of the tongue, migrating down the neck into its current position, and leaving the foramen cecum of the back of the tongue as a remnant. This embryologic movement can malfunction, leading to either a thyroglossal duct cyst or ectopic thyroid tissue. Thyroglossal duct cyst. Normally, the thyroglossal duct, the passageway for the thyroid migrating down to its position in the neck, atrophies and closes. Failure of this closure can lead to a cyst, presenting as a midline mass. Because the thyroglossal duct is attached at the foramen cecum to the tongue, this cyst will move with tongue movement. The cyst can be asymptomatic, most commonly, or become infected. Rarely, this can cause cancer, thyroglossal duct carcinoma. Because the mass is midline, this can be differentiated from a brachial cleft cyst, which is lateral, see chapter 4. Ectopic thyroid tissue can present in many forms, but simply represents thyroid tissue that did not migrate in a normal fashion. A lingual thyroid can occur when the thyroid fails to descend, leading to a mass at the base of the tongue and potentially causing dysphagia, difficulty swallowing. 
The thyroid is perfused by two major arteries, the superior thyroid artery, a branch of the external carotid artery, and the inferior thyroid artery, a branch of the thyrocervical trunk, which comes off of the beginning of the subclavian artery. It is drained by the superior, middle, and inferior thyroid veins. The histologic image in figure 9.7 is of thyroid tissue. You should be able to recognize thyroid tissue histologically and understand why it appears the way it does. Follicular epithelial cells. The rim of cells surrounding the colloid in the center. These are metabolically active cells that pull iodine from the bloodstream via sodium iodine symporters and begin the synthesis of new thyroid hormone. When the thyroid is stimulated by TSH, these cells take thyroid hormone from the colloid and prepare it for release into the bloodstream. When very active, these cells appear columnar instead of cuboidal. Colloid. The pink centers of the glands contain colloid, which contains formed thyroid hormone and partially formed thyroid hormone attached to a protein called thyroglobulin. They will remain stored until the thyroid is stimulated to release hormone. C-cells, also known as parafollicular cells because they are between the colloid follicles. These are neural crest in origin, secreting calcitonin to decrease blood calcium level. This also becomes important in medullary thyroid cancer, covered later in the section Pathology, a cancer of the parafollicular C-cells. Thyroid Hormone Physiology The thyroid gland is responsible for regulation of metabolism and also plays an important role in growth and development. These overarching functions play a role in almost every process in the body. Dysfunction therefore leads to widespread symptoms. The thyroid gland generates thyroid hormone. Both T4, with four iodine molecules attached, inactive, and T3, with three iodine molecules attached, active, into the bloodstream, with T3 having direct effects on the cells and T4 being converted to T3 in the peripheral tissue by 5-deiodinase enzyme to become active. The stimulus for thyroid hormone production is TSH, produced by the pituitary. The pituitary releases TSH when the hypothalamus secretes TRH. Thyroid hormone has negative feedback on both the hypothalamus, TRH, and the pituitary, TSH, ensuring precise regulation of hormones. Interestingly, TRH is also a stimulatory signal for prolactin release. This becomes important in conditions such as primary hypothyroidism, in which the hypothalamus generates increased TRH to promote TSH secretion from the pituitary to stimulate the thyroid. This will lead to increased prolactin and even the potential for galactorrhea and infertility. In addition, the C-cells of the thyroid secrete calcitonin, which prevents bone breakdown and stimulates osteoblasts and therefore leads to decreased blood calcium levels. Calcitonin tones down the calcium level. Synthesis of thyroid hormone is relatively complex, but can be broken down into a few steps. Figure 9.8. 1. Iodide is taken into the follicular cells by sodium iodide cotransport. 2. This iodide is oxidized into iodine at the same time as it is moved into the colloid. 3. The iodine is then attached onto the amino acid tyrosine, termed organification, into either MIT, monoiodotyrosine, one iodine molecule, or DIT, diiodotyrosine, two iodine molecules. These are stored on thyroglobulin in the colloid. The MIT and DIT can combine into either T3, MIT plus DIT, because there are three iodine molecules total, or T4, DIT plus DIT, because there are four iodine molecules total. More T4 is generated than T3. 5. When stimulated, TRH from the hypothalamus to TSH from the pituitary, to TSH stimulation of the thyroid, 
the thyroglobulin with its attached molecules will be endocytosed into the follicular cell, and T3 and T4 will be released into the bloodstream. This T3 and T4 will then act in a negative feedback loop on the pituitary and hypothalamus to decrease thyroid stimulation to ensure the level of thyroid hormone does not become too high. All of the synthetic steps are catalyzed by thyroid peroxidase. Therefore, blockage of this enzyme with medications such as propylthyrouracil or methimazole will stop thyroid hormone synthesis, which can be effective in the treatment of hyperthyroidism. Large amounts of iodine administration can have very different effects depending on the initial iodine status of the individual. This can be seen with iatrogenic iodide administration, iodinated contrast material, intravenous or oral iodide administration, or with medications that contain large amounts of iodide, like amiodarone, an antiarrhythmic drug. Wolf-Chaikoff effect. In a normal individual, giving large amounts of iodine at once will lead to transient hypothyroidism, which is counterintuitive. This is because the thyroid has an autoregulatory function. When it sees large amounts of iodide, it shuts down to prevent massive thyroid hormone generation and release. Initially, it overreacts, leading to transient hypothyroidism before readjusting to normal. This can be a potential therapeutic agent in severe hyperthyroidism to quickly shut down the thyroid. Jod-based-out phenomenon. A very different outcome occurs in those with chronic iodine deficiency. These individuals have hypothyroidism. Iodine deficiency is the most common cause of hypothyroidism in developing countries, as a result of lack of iodine available to make thyroid hormone. Therefore, their sodium iodide co-transporters are heavily upregulated to take up any iodine in the blood, and TSH levels are high to stimulate the thyroid gland to make hormone. When these individuals are given large amounts of iodine, they quickly create large amounts of thyroid hormone from the highly stimulated thyroid, leading to transient hyperthyroidism before readjusting. Once the thyroid hormone, T3 and T4, is in the bloodstream, it circulates mostly bound to thyroxine-binding globulin, TBG, not to be confused with thyroglobulin, which is only present in the thyroid. The rest is bound to albumin, or free in the bloodstream, only a tiny fraction. This free, unbound T3 and T4 is the thyroid hormone that can have action on the body's cells. It is important to remember that T3 essentially has all of the thyroid hormone activity, and therefore, T4 must be converted by the tissues to T3 by removing one iodine molecule via 5-deiodinase enzyme to be active. The effects of thyroid hormone are widespread, including the following. Increasing metabolic rate. Increases sodium-potassium ATPase activity, increasing adenosine triphosphate, ATP use, and therefore increasing metabolic rate. Increasing catecholamine sensitivity. Increases synthesis of beta-1 receptors on cardiac tissue leading to increased sensitivity of the body to catecholamines, increasing cardiac output by increasing the heart rate and stroke volume. Recall that CO equals HR times SV. This is to support the increased oxygen requirement by the increased metabolic rate to allow for increased ATP generation. Proper growth and development. Allows for proper differentiation and maturation of cells. This is why hypothyroidism in the neonate can be so devastating, with symptoms just as expected from before, low metabolic rate leading to low body temperature, poor musculature, excessive sleeping, improper development. Thyroid hormone is also important to brain maturation, and hypothyroidism can lead to irreversible mental retardation in the neonatal period. The other classic clue to neonatal hypothyroidism is a protruding umbilicus, umbilical hernia caused by improper development of an anterior abdominal wall. Note that historically, neonatal hypothyroidism was termed cretinism, but the former term is now preferred. Laboratory testing. 
The first study in evaluating thyroid function is checking a TSH level. Recall that TSH is produced by the pituitary and has negative feedback from thyroid hormone released from the thyroid. Therefore, a normal result ensures that the patient has normal thyroid function. Abnormal results require further workup. High TSH indicates that the pituitary is attempting to stimulate the thyroid to make more thyroid hormone, indicating primary hypothyroidism, such as from autoimmune destruction of the thyroid gland in Hashimoto thyroiditis. Low TSH indicates that the pituitary gland is not attempting to stimulate the thyroid to make thyroid hormone, indicating one of two overarching possibilities. One, the body has too much thyroid hormone, such as in patients taking excess thyroid hormone medication or in autoimmune stimulation of the thyroid gland as in Graves' disease. Or two, the problem is upstream of the thyroid, either pituitary dysfunction with failure to secrete TSH or hypothalamic dysfunction in which the pituitary and thyroid may be perfectly fine, but the hypothalamus is not giving the signal through TRH to allow the pituitary to, re- to generate TSH to stimulate the thyroid gland. Because an abnormal TSH usually does not give a single diagnosis, further workup is required, which usually involves getting free T3 and T4 levels. Laboratory tests that quantify total T3 or T4 are generally less reliable than free levels. Laboratory tests that quantify free T3 and free T4 are typically most useful. TBG levels can vary, making total T3 and T4 levels unreliable. The free T3 and T4 will allow determination of the amount of hormone available to the cells. Decreased TBG occurs with increased testosterone. Think that increased testosterone means your body wants to make more muscle, breaking down TBG to make more available protein. Because TBG is made in the liver, hepatic failure also causes decreased TBG. Increased TBG occurs with increased estrogen in pregnancy or with oral contraceptive use, which inhibits hepatic breakdown of TBG. If the cause of hyperthyroidism is not clear, more advanced testing, such as radioactive iodine uptake, can occur, which can show whether the thyroid is hungry for iodine, actively uptaking iodine to make thyroid hormone high uptake. Note that 123 iodine is used for scanning and diagnostic purposes because it is not toxic to the thyroid, but 131 iodine causes radioactivity that destroys the thyroid and can be used for therapy of hyperthyroidism. Don't mix these up. This test is helpful when the TSH is low, but the free T3, T4 is high because iodine uptake scans will show whether the entire thyroid is taking up iodine, diffuse overproduction, if a specific spot in the thyroid is making up too much iodine, such as small nodules in the thyroid that are autonomously making thyroid hormone independent of stimulation, termed hot nodules, which are rarely cancerous, or if none of the iodine is taken up. Therefore, the thyroid hormone is coming from pills the patient is taking and not the thyroid. Pathology. Pathologic conditions of the thyroid are incredibly common. Other than malignancies, that can be broken down into two groups. One, conditions that cause increased hormone production or secretion, and two, conditions that cause decreased hormone production or secretion. Conditions that cause increased hormone production or secretion lead to symptoms consistent with thyroid hormone overactivity. Any hypermetabolic state characterized by elevated levels of 3T3 and T4 is known as thyrotoxicosis. Because thyroid hormone is involved in metabolic regulation, thyrotoxicosis will lead to increased basal metabolic rate, which will lead to weight loss and heat intolerance with diaphoresis as well as increased catecholamine sensitivity, leading to tachycardia. The increased sympathetic drive can even lead to atrial fibrillation. Increased stimulation of the gut causes hyperdefecation, which is not diarrhea, but rather is numerous episodes of defecation from hypermotility. Lastly, although it is possible to get lid lag, 
when the patient looks down, the upper eyelid does not move downward quickly with all forms of hyperthyroidism because the superior tarsal muscle is smooth muscle innervated by the sympathetic nervous system, which is sensitized with thyrotoxicosis. Only Graves' disease actually causes exophthalmos. Graves' disease. The most common cause of hyperthyroidism in which B cells produce immunoglobulin G, IgG, autoantibodies, that stimulate the thyroid's TSH receptors, making this a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction. There is lymphocytic infiltration of the orbital tissue, and autoantibodies also stimulate fibroblasts to secrete hyaluronic acid, a glycosaminoglycan. These two factors increase the orbital volume, leading to exophthalmos, eyes bulging out, which can eventually be so severe as to cause blindness. The increased glycosaminoglycan deposition in the skin also leads to pretibial myxedema. It is important to note that these IgG antibodies, like all IgG antibodies, can cross the blood placenta barrier in pregnant women leading to potential transient hyperthyroidism in the neonate until they clear the IgG. Toxic multinodular goiter, Plummer syndrome. The term goiter refers to enlargement of the thyroid, and multinodular goiter means that there are many nodules in the thyroid causing this goiter. These diffuse nodules are present throughout the thyroid and are hyperfunctioning, working independently of TSH, sometimes because of mutations in the TSH receptor that allow for constitutive activity. Symptoms of hyperthyroidism are present, but there is no exophthalmos and no pretibial myxedema because this is not an autoimmune phenomenon. Exogenous thyroid intake. Patients taking thyroid hormone in an effort to lose weight will have signs and symptoms of hyperthyroidism. They will also have low TSH and low 123-iodine uptake. Struma ovarii, a rare syndrome, essentially an ovarian teratoma, which can generate many tissue types that can lead to hyperthyroidism if there is presence of large amounts of thyroid tissue. Early thyroiditis syndromes. Anytime the thyroid is inflamed, it can initially leak a surge of thyroid hormone from the colloid. Afterward, hypothyroidism can occur because the stored hormone has been lost. Conditions that cause decreased hormone production or secretion lead to symptoms that are almost exactly the opposite of hyperthyroidism. The lower metabolic rate leads to weight gain, cold intolerance, fatigue, and dry skin and brittle hair. Decreased catecholamine sensitivity can lead to bradycardia. Decreased gut motility leads to constipation. Interestingly, decreased synthesis of low-density lipoprotein, LDL receptors, leads to increased circulating levels of cholesterol, causing hypercholesterolemia. As explained earlier in the section, thyroid hormone physiology, primary hypothyroidism, thyroid gland dysfunction from inflammation or destruction, will lead to increased levels of TRH from the hypothalamus to promote TSH release from the pituitary to stimulate the thyroid gland to make more hormone. This increased TRH can lead to galactorrhea as a symptom because TRH is also a stimulus for prolactin release. This increase in prolactin may affect gonadotropin function, resulting in decreased libido, infertility, and changes in menstruation. Hashimoto thyroiditis. The most common cause of hypothyroidism in developed countries. This is classically seen in middle-aged women, but can occur in both genders at almost any age. In Hashimoto thyroiditis, the body attacks the thyroid directly via CD8 cytotoxic T-cells, leading to cell destruction and release of contents into the bloodstream. These release proteins, such as thyroglobulin and thyroid peroxidase, are usually not present in the bloodstream, and are seen as foreign. The B cells then make antithyroglobulin and antithyroid peroxidase antibodies as a response. These antibodies can further cause destruction of the gland. Therefore, the damage to the gland is both cell-mediated, via type 4 hypersensitivity, and antibody-mediated, 
type 2 hypersensitivity. With the initial inflammation of the gland, there can be initial hyperthyroidism because formed hormone leaks from the cell. This is known as hashitoxicosis, iodine deficiency, the most common cause of hypothyroidism and goiter worldwide. Chronically high TSH levels cause sustained stimulation and growth of the gland, goiter, to attempt to extract any iodine present in the blood. Subacute granulomatous painful thyroiditis, dequervient thyroiditis, often triggered by a viral infection, especially upper respiratory tract infection. There is either cross-reactivity with a viral antigen or inflammation of the thyroid leading to exposure of a thyroid antigen with subsequent painful inflammation of the thyroid. This inflammation can lead to initial hyperthyroidism as preformed hormone is released, but afterward, the thyroid can take weeks to return to normal, and hypothyroidism can occur during this time. Subacute lymphocytic painless thyroiditis. A variant of this is the most commonly tested, which is postpartum thyroiditis. This is thought to potentially represent a subset of Hashimoto thyroiditis, but is characterized by postpartum hyperthyroidism secondary to follicle rupture with subsequent hypothyroidism. Many of these patients will recover normal thyroid function over weeks to months, but antigen exposure from the follicle rupture may contribute to development of Hashimoto thyroiditis. Up to 50% will eventually develop Hashimoto thyroiditis in the future. Rydell thyroiditis. Very rare disease characterized by painless fibrosis in the thyroid gland and nearby structures in the neck. This can cause tracheal obstruction from the hard, rock-like fibrous deposition. Thyroid cancer has four separate types, papillary, follicular, medullary, and anaplastic. Papillary carcinoma, greater than 85%. The most common thyroid cancer, papillary is popular, with the major risk factors being exposure to ionizing radiation and family history. Luckily, this usually has an excellent prognosis. Histologically, this is characterized by two items, orphan anti-I nuclei, so-called because there appears to be nothing inside the nuclei, and somoma bodies, which are concentrically calcified structures. Somoma is derived from the Greek word samos, meaning sand. Somoma bodies are found in many cancers, but of the thyroid cancers, somoma bodies are only found in papillary thyroid can- carcinoma. Follicular carcinoma, 10%. The second most common thyroid cancer, this occurs in older women, 40 to 60 years of age, and the prognosis is directly related to whether metastases are present. When no metastatic disease is present, the prognosis is very good. When metastatic lesions are found, the prognosis is much worse. One unique aspect of this carcinoma is that the metastasis occurs by hematogenous spread, which is not characteristic of carcinomas. Usually, carcinomas spread by the lymphatics, and sarcomas spread by hematogenous roots. Histologically, follicular carcinoma reveals colloid follicles, hence the name, unlike other carcinomas. This needs to be differentiated from a follicular adenoma, which is the most common benign tumor and is surrounded by a complete capsule. It is an adenoma, benign, and not a carcinoma, malignant, because the complete encapsulation prevents metastatic spread. It is often hard to differentiate between a follicular carcinoma versus follicular adenoma based just on biopsy unless you see capsular invasion. Thus, the only way to definitively tell the two apart is after resection and pathologic evaluation. So all of these are typically removed. Medullary carcinoma, 5%. This is a neoplasm of the parafollicular C-cells, which create calcitonin. This type of thyroid cancer associated with MEN2A and 2B. Because they secrete calcitonin, calcitonin can be used as a tumor marker for recurrence of disease and can be used in immunohistochemical staining of the biopsy to diagnose disease. The excess secretion of calcitonin 
builds up and is deposited at its amyloid in the stroma of the thyroid, which can be seen on histologic examination. In patients with this rare cancer, checking family history and signs of other MEN2A and 2B-associated pathology is important. Anaplastic carcinoma. Undifferentiated, rapidly progressive, and almost uniformly fatal, the prognosis for patients with anaplastic carcinoma is often less than six months. Some patients will have a history of a prior thyroid cancer. Pharmacology. The pharmacology of the thyroid gland essentially is aimed at either blocking thyroid hormone synthesis and release, or providing supplementary thyroid hormone, depending on what needs correcting. Propylthyrouracil, PTU, and methimazole inhibit organification of iodide and therefore decrease thyroid hormone synthesis, useful in hyperthyroidism to prevent thyrotoxicosis can cause agranulocytosis and a skin rash. When taken during pregnancy, methimazole is associated with aplasia cutis congenita, congenital absence of skin, which manifests as a scar-like appearance in a neonate. For this reason, it should be avoided during the first trimester of pregnancy. Levothyroxine, synthetic T4, and triiodothyronine, also known as leothyronine, synthetic T3, replacement thyroid hormones for hypothyroid conditions. T4 can be converted in the periphery to T3 and is favored because of the half-life of T4 is considerably longer than that of T3 because of greater albumin binding affinity, and therefore blood levels are more stable over time. Toxicity gives symptoms of hyperthyroidism, tachycardia, heat intolerance, tremors. Iodine. Iodine can be given in thyrotoxicosis to shut down the thyroid through the Wolf-Chaikoff effect. It is important to know that any iodine load can cause this, including unintended administration, such as using iodinated contrast for computed tomatography scanning or the iodine-rich antiarrhythmic drug amiodarone. In addition, 123-iodine is used for diagnostic scanning of the thyroid to visualize uptake. 131-iodine is used in ablation of the thyroid because the thyroid tissue concentrates the iodine and is subsequently destroyed by the 131-iodine radiation. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step One, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.